Sorry for the uh, Yes, this session will be interpreted simultaneously into French. And I'm just going to let our French speakers know how to access interpretation by saying, si vous avez besoin d'interprétation, veuillez cliquer sur le symbole d'interprétation et choisir French. Le symbole est en bas de l'écran, un petit peu plus vers la droite. Thank you, Carmen. We do have a few announcements. So you will be on mute for in all sessions unless you're speaking at a workshop. And this is not on our script, so I apologize to our interpreter, but we do have a special focus meeting uh, on set Saturday night. And if you go into the program, there is a link we can click on to request your special focus session. Uh, we have things that, you know, there are, there are different special focus meetings like men and LGBTQ and agnostic and things like that. Um, so you can sign up for those sessions and attend on, on a Saturday night. Uh, and the way it works is you enter the session, ask which room to be put into, and you'll be put into a, a breakout room that has a special focus uh, meeting. Oh, and um, sorry, I also forgot on the program link that you received, we'll be continually updating that page uh, with all the different requested special focus meetings. Uh, back to the script. Uh, no photographs should be taken at the screen at any time. Please turn off your video if you're eating, walking, having a conversation with anyone. If you wouldn't do it in a face-to-face -face meeting, then turn your video off. We also have Zoom texts uh, in every meeting to ensure everything goes smoothly. Also, anonymity. We ask you to use your first name and last initial instead of your full name and to remember um, who you see here, let it stay here. Debbie. We have an amazing program for you lined up for this weekend. In addition to the four great keynote speakers, 30 recovery-filled workshops and welcome centers, we are offering special focus rooms tomorrow at 7.30. You can use a pickup meeting for any number of special interests. We're going to put the link in the chat. Please note that all audio of keynotes will be recorded. No recording of any sessions with your own electronic devices, please. If you speak in a workshop, you are given consent to be recorded. So please do not share if you do not want to be recorded. And we all know that it takes a village to organize an event like this. So at this time, we'd like to introduce you to this year's village, which is an incredibly hardworking committee. And this will be very busy shortly. So we all have, we'll have everybody up on our virtual stage here. So as we call out your committee service area, please raise your hand. Um, registration, Linda. Program. Cut check just to confirm yeah. I'm promoting all these people, yeah? Giving them a raise to. Um, okay. Program, Karen, Kimberly, Susan, and Michael. Graphic design and flyers, Karen B. Welcome Center, Donna, Claire, and Lisa. Secretary. Laura. Everybody keep raising your hand. Yeah. So I'm going, guys. The lady holding the purse strings, 
Karen C. I don't think Karen's here. Okay. No, I think Karen's either. Uh, translation, Kim L. Kim is already up here. Uh, interpretation coordinator, WH. Uh, trustee mentor, Beth, who's not here. Okay. Our service, uh, our service uh, committee, Cindy, Maria, and Judy. Um, website, that's me. Um, proofreading is Michael. And we have Zoom training, uh, Sandy and Lauren. Right, give me a few. I think I'm behind schedule. Uh, I, I really have to tell you, we have such a great team of interpreters. When I send out a letter from last year to this year, they have all pitched in and volunteered and said, what can I do? This is such a valuable service to which I am so grateful to all of you. Merci, that's the extent of my French, to Christine, Elizabeth, France, Louise, Slofi, Anne, Vasilisa, Lynn Renee, and anyone else I'm forgetting, I will come up in a minute and remind myself. But I thank you so very much for this service that you give to everyone. You make this a better convention. I also like to now introduce you to our Region 6 Chair, Carmen. Good evening, everyone. Again, my name is Carmen. I'm a compulsive reader and your Region 6 Chair. Welcome to the 2022 Region 6 Convention. Bonsoir, je m'appelle Carmen. Je suis une outre-mangeuse compulsive et votre présidente de la Région 6. Bienvenue au Congrès de la Région 6 2022. I would like to introduce you to the members of the Region 6 Board. Could the board members please come to the front of the virtual room? So you raise your hand and I guess they'll bring you up to, to this, uh, this uh, whatever. Uh, so Vice Chair, Kimberly. There we go. <laughs> Coordinator, Linda. Our Treasurer, Debbie. Our new treasurer that was just voted in at this past fall assembly. And we also want to thank our outgoing treasurer, Karen, for her service. I think she's not here. And our secretary, our new secretary, Blair. Is, uh, is she? I don't see I don't her think. there. Uh, and we also want to thank our outgoing secretary, Sue S., for her service. <laughs> And our web and publications coordinator, Chuck. And our Region 6 trustee, Beth. Beth could not be here this weekend. She's in Albuquerque doing service again at a higher level. <laughs> Cette année a été difficile pour nous tous. Il est donc particulièrement significatif de pouvoir nous réunir pour notre congrès, même si nous sommes ici virtuellement encore cette année. Nous espérons que vous apprécierez ce week-end qui vous offre d'excellents ateliers, panels et conférenciers. Comme d'habitude, je suis certaine que ce sera un super congrès. It is especially meaningful to be able to come together for our convention, even if we are here virtually again this year. 
We hope you will all enjoy this weekend of great workshops, panels, and speakers. I'm sure it's going to be another great Region 6 convention. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Carmen. So at this part of the convention, we normally tell people how many people we have attending here right now, which I can tell you is 150. And I believe we're at around 300 people have registered, uh, question mark. So um, it's great people. It's great that we're here and people can, can come and go as they please and uh, listen to the recordings as they go. Um, Linda is almost 400 so um almost 400 people so it's great to see that many uh people here do you see kimberly here who is going to take yeah. over the proceedings uh chuck would you like me to say thank you and goodbye to our service people that aren't kimberly <laughs> or leave them up uh yeah yeah that's that's uh say thank you goodbye. thank you okay including myself bye everybody <laughs> no, you have to stay. All right, let's see here. Okay. Oh, shoot, they all left, which means they're going to come back as co-hosts. Okay. All right, Donna and Cindy, just stay right. Oh, Donna, don't move. Well, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Hang on one sec. <laughs> I, have to, I have to change you out of, to change you to an attendee. Let's see, Donna. Sorry. So smooth. Okay. All right. Let's try that. See if that worked. Did I miss anybody? Linda. Let's have Linda. And Judy. I'll take care of Judy in a second. Okay. Okay. All righty. I'm going to turn my camera off and that will leave you. Kimberly, you're muted. Thank you. So hi, everybody. Good evening. I'm Kimberly. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I am the moderator for this format. Uh, it is um, a, a special pleasure to be here tonight uh, for our keynote speaker. Uh, in, in this case, I have known uh, the, the keynote uh, for... Uh, several years, and I uh, am glad and grateful that she's here with us this evening. This uh, session, Kimberly, I'm I'm going to interrupt for just a second because I didn't realize we were starting this part. So I need to do a little bit of hand raising to get us ready. Would that be okay? That would be fine. All right, just bear with me here one second. So Elizabeth, darling, will you raise your hand? And Lisa Timer, will you turn on your video and raise your hand? Okay. All right, just bear with. All right, this is going to sound funny, you guys, but stay with me. Lisa, lower your hand so that moves Elizabeth to the upper left corner. Now, Lisa, raise your hand again. Good. Now, Kimberly, raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to add Louise as a second interpreter. And Elizabeth, I assume you're good to go for a while, and you'll connect with Louise when you're ready to switch off. Okay. 
Just bear with us here. One second. Let's try adding Louise. Bonjour, Louise. Ça va? Bonjour. Ça va bien, vous? Um, <laughs> okay. Instead of... Okay. No, apparently I'm nervous because I just ended it instead of adding you to interpretation. So let's try it. Donc, on va recommencer l'interprète. Attendez. Hang on, Elizabeth, I haven't started it yet. All right, now I'm starting interpretation. Louise, raise your hand too, honey. Can you go up to the top? No, your virtual hand, love. Okay, all right, good. So you two are in that corner. All right, somebody in the audience is going to confirm that Elizabeth is speaking French and they can hear French when Elizabeth speaks, right? Somebody's going to chat us. Oh, no, Carmen, you're still with us, but your camera's off, so we don't see you. Okay. Yes. And French is okay. No, Kimberly, you can talk. <laughs> okay. Oh, maybe you can. All right. Sorry for that. Barb, will you turn your camera on, love? Not, uh, not Debbie, Barb. Barb is on. Debbie, you can turn your camera off. That would be great. Unless you have more to say, my love. I'm a little confused about the script right now, Debbie. You okay? All right. Then turn your camera off. Okay, we're getting there. We're totally getting there. All right, we're going to spotlight Kimberly and we're going to spotlight Barb and then we're really going to make outstanding progress. Okay, Kimberly, when you're done, I'll take the spotlight off you. We'll leave Barb and then I'll be ready with screen shares. Excellent. So as I was saying, I am uh, particularly pleased to introduce Barb. I've, I've known for quite a while. She's from New Haven, Connecticut. And we will be uh, sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us for the next 35 minutes. So, Barb, welcome to the Region 6 Convention. Thank you, Kimberly. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Barb. I'm an abstinent compulsive overeater and sugar addict. And I am finding myself emotional right now. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I will tell you that I have been abstinent for six and a half years as of yesterday, and it's a complete miracle. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit of my story um, and how I got into OA in a moment, but I will tell you that last year, I was slated to be the keynote speaker at this very time. And about 45 minutes before then, I ended up having to call an ambulance and be rushed to the emergency room. And I was able to take care of myself and do what needed to be done in a way that I wasn't capable. I would have tried to power through that in the past. And I had to pay a thousand dollars for the ambulance, which I was able to finance with 0% financing over 10 months. And I just took it in stride because I've learned to accept what's happening in my life as a result of this program. And I'm no longer, um, I, I can't remember the promise at the moment, but fear of economic insecurity has left me. That's what I'm trying to say. So I think that might have something to do with why I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I think also hearing people speak in another language and knowing that my fellows are all around the world and language is no barrier to who is a compulsive overeater. So 
Um, I actually got into OA from another program. I was 12 stepped into OA by a woman that I was doing the steps with in another program. If you're new and you've never heard the term 12 stepping before, what that means is that she carried the message of recovery to me. And it turned out that I was on step four in that program, which is where we take a circling and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I hit bottom with the sugar. So it was just divinely timed. And what that looked like for me is that, well, my bottom was that this one particular day I was donating blood and had to give a fast, do a fasting blood test. So I didn't eat in the morning and I went immediately to the grocery store and bought three donuts and ate them immediately, which was not something I typically did. I typically tried to at least begin my day with healthy breakfast. And then that evening about six o'clock, I needed more donuts. And I feel like this is a good example of the progressive nature of this illness, that sometimes it's not just progressive over years, sometimes it's progressive in one day. And I did a total like compulsive overeater thinking thing. So I walked into the donut shop at 6 p.m. I don't think I've ever bought donuts that night before. And I only wanted three, but I knew if I ordered three, then they would know that they were all for me. So I decided to order six because maybe they would think they weren't for me. And then I got in the car and I just started cramming them in my mouth. And I was a, maybe a 10 minute drive from home. And I said, please God, remove this compulsion from me at least until I get home, not forever, just until I got home. And then I got home and I was like, okay, I'm not going to eat the rest of them. And of course I did. And then I hid the box in the garbage and I live alone. And it took me about two years to figure out that the reason I hid them in the garbage was because I was hiding them from me. And that really is my bottom. And I'm not sure if it was the next day or the day after that I woke up on Wednesday, April 20th, 2016. And I literally felt like I was being internally electrocuted by sugar. So I called this or I texted this friend who was 12 stepping me into OA. And I said, listen, I just have to tell somebody that just today I am not having sugar and I have not had sugar since that day. Or if you want to slow it down just a little bit, honey, a little space between the sentences, you're doing great. Okay. So in the meantime, I looked back in my text messages from her and she had, an inv she had invited me to something called an OA abstinence workshop. I didn't know what that meant. This was in April, remember? And I somehow read it the first time that it said on June 1st, but it actually said on Saturday at one, like that's how crazy my head was. So I texted her and I said, I think I want to go to that workshop with you. And I walked in, I thought it was going to a weekly OA support meeting. And it was a workshop, a three hour workshop with speakers. And the first speaker said, I'm down 185 pounds for over 30 years. And I said, I'm listening. You have my attention because I've never heard of anybody losing that much weight. 
I've never heard of anybody keeping their weight off for that long. I used to work for a pay and way. And 95% of those people gained their weight back. So I knew there was something here. And then he proceeded to do a presentation on the cycle of addiction as it applies to food. And I went, oh, I'm a compulsive overeater. And I had seen the cycle of addiction. I just didn't know that it applied to food. And then the next speaker uh, said that she, when she got into the program, she knew for a fact that she would be eating sugar again. I was like, tell it sister. And then she said, and here I am 30 years later, abstinent from sugar one day at a time. And I was like, Oh, she tricked me. And then she said something else that really hit home for me. She said, you know, when I was driving here, I saw this bumper sticker and it, maybe you've seen it. And it said, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, the OA spin on that is when the only tool you have is food, everything feels like hunger. And I was like, oh my God, that explains it. Because there have been so many times in my life where I know that I have eaten plenty of food and yet I feel hungry. And I'm not talking some like psychological, I'm talking like stomach growling, feeling weak, hunger. And I've come to believe that for me, the mechanism from my head to my stomach got broken or something like that over years. And I realized that, that my, my emotions manifested as uh, hunger is what happened. And I want to say something else about hitting bottom with sugar. Um, And that is that, well, actually, let me back up for a moment. I have been numbing in some capacity since I was a baby. So I purposely sucked my thumb until I was eight. I tried stopping and I would wake up until I was about 10, knowing that I had been sucking my thumb. I don't know what I did to numb between 10 and 13, but I started smoking cigarettes at 13, marijuana at 14, drinking at 16. And I think the switch flipped for me to becoming a compulsive overeater in my early 20s. And in my 20s, I battled with about 35 pounds. And then in my early thirties, it got to like 80 to hundred pounds. I am now down over hundred pounds from my top weight. As I said, I've been abstinent for six and a half years yesterday. I've been at my goal weight for four and a half years. And I know that Sandy has my photo. So this might be a good time to share my photos on the screen. So the one on the top left is from 2012. The one on the top right is from 2011. And the one at the bottom, I'm 59. I was 35 in that picture. Um, So, you know, I'm down over 100 pounds. I don't know my exact weight because I stopped looking at the scale. The highest weight I ever saw on the scale was 247 pounds. And I know I weighed more than that, but I honestly don't know if it was like 20 pounds or 50 pounds more than that. I really don't know. But 
all that time when I was struggling with my weight and the food, it was really food. I mean, I always liked sweets, but whenever I would have the conversation with people, like whether it was the nutritionist or at the pay and way or whatever, they'd be like, is it, you know, is it sugar? And I was like, you know, I like sugar, but it's not sugar. But for me, I hit bottom with the sugar. The, the last definitely six months, maybe a year before I hit bottom, my consumption of sugar just rapidly accelerated. And it really, that's the thing that took me down. And so I 100% abstained from sugar. So I think you get the idea, you know, I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm a sugar addict. I'm one of you. Um, I do want to say that, you know, I'm, I've been a lifelong seeker. I started therapy when I was about 15, went almost continuously. Um, and then, so I was 52 when I got in recovery, that's almost 37 years. I, I found the health self-help genre when I was about 24, um, and read a gajillion self-help books and did workshops and workbooks and retreats and fitness and health and nutrition, like you name all the stuff. And all those things sort of scratch the surface of the iceberg. Recovery melted the iceberg for me. I feel like the riverbed of my life has been dug up and redirected in this very deep and profound way. I was a very introspective person. And yet there was so much that I didn't know about myself that I really learned in recovery. I think so, so, so many gifts of recovery, but for me, by far the most important gift of my recovery is coming to understand my part in the things. So if you're new, this is what we seek to find among other things, when we do step four, that's the searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I didn't know this, but I had been blaming everybody else in the world for all of my problems. It's not like I was walking around going, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, but I was living in blame. And so one of the things that the um, invitation to you says, um, we will be acting on life rather than reacting to it as a result of recovery. And that's the truth for me is I've learned to be an actor rather than a reactor to life, but I didn't know that I was doing that. And I think another way to describe that is I came out of victim mentality and I had no idea I had victim mentality. I'll tell you something. I could spot a victim a mile away because, uh, a, big part of my recovery has been recovering from codependence. That for me, that's my core, my core wound is, is codependence. That has everything to do with why I ate. And so um, an example of victim mentality is, and the thing that really sort of like opened the door for me to be able to see that I had it was when I was doing my inventory and looking at my previous relationships, I realized, so I happen to be a heterosexual woman. So all the people I've dated have been men. So I would be like, well, if he would just fill in the blank, then everything would be okay. And as I was doing my, my step work, I realized, oh, that's me acting like I have absolutely nothing to do with the relationship. So I started to be able to see that that was victim mentality. And what it took me a few years to realize this 
But what I eventually realized was that I took credit for all the good things in my romantic relationships. And I blamed my partners for all of the bad things in our relationship. And on the face of that, when you hear that, that sounds crazy. How could one person 100% of the time be responsible for all the good things and the other person 100% of the time be responsible for all the bad things? So learning my part in things has been an absolute game changer for me. And what that means is that because I was blaming other people for things, I didn't see that I had a part in it, which meant I, did, I wouldn't even try to change things. And this is the beauty of the serenity prayer. So we need to get the wisdom to know the difference between the things we can change and the things we can't. And then when we have that ability to discern that, then we need to learn to accept the things we cannot change and then get courage to change the things we can, which is our own like thinking and behavior and that sort of thing. And that acceptance, let me tell you something so important for me. So there is a chapter in the big book. I believe the title of the story at the end of the book is acceptance was the answer to my problem. But by the time I heard that phrase, acceptance is the answer to my problem today, I had no idea what it meant, but I had been around long enough that I was like, these people know what they're talking about. I'm going to listen up. So uh, I had a lot of difficulty in traffic. I used to get very upset in the car. And my therapist, as I worked on all this stuff, helped me to understand that I never expressed any frustration about anything to anybody directly. I took it all out in the car alone, which meant I was the only person that had the effects of my anger and frustration. So I would get very angry that there was traffic on the highway, which by the way, was created for traffic. So I'm getting mad that there's traffic on the highway that was created for traffic. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that the thing that was happening to me when I was aware, like, oh, this is me not being accepting. I'm pretty sure it was when I was driving. So I started to realize, oh, okay, I, this is me not accepting what's happening here. And so I'm like, what do I do about it? So that sentence, acceptance is the answer to my problem today came in my head. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to say that. So I just said repeatedly, acceptance is the answer to my problem today. Acceptance is the answer to my problem today. And I just kept repeating it. And what happened was that my tension went way down and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened here? My tension went away, but the situation didn't change. So what that showed me was it wasn't the situation that was a problem. It was my thinking. And when I explored it further, I realized that deep down, I had this belief, this should not be happening. 
And so I started to think of it as I'm not facing reality. I need to insert myself into reality. So what I would say to myself is this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And this is what's happening. Now, to this day, I occasionally still need to tell myself, Barb, this, this is what's happening. We're not living in fantasy land where things should be another way. This is what's happening. And that is so, so, so powerful because an enormous amount of tension in my life went away when I started being able to accept things. And it has a ripple effect in every single area of my life. It's just untold um, power learning how to be accepting of things. And I think one way to describe what happened for me when I learned to accept things was that I stopped fighting. I stopped holding on to this idea that things should be the way that I want them to be. And I still occasionally have ideas like that. I think I probably always will, but I at least recognize them as um, not true now. And that, um, you know, I don't get to have my way all the time. And it's okay because things are going to be really um, fine because they're still fine. So another enormous gift of recovery is my relationship with my higher power. I choose to call my higher power God. Um, I was a spiritual person before I got into recovery. Actually, I was a lifelong agnostic until the age of 37 when I read a book that over the course of a weekend like that, I believed in God in a way that means something to me. And I was a pretty spiritual person, but nothing like I am now. So what happened in recovery, as I took steps two and three and became willing to turn my life, you know, and my will over to a power greater than myself and started actually turning things over and actually asking God for guidance and asking God to take things from me which I never did before. I never, I call it using God. I used God. I used God as my partner. I used God as my guide. I used God as my resource. I used God for guidance and it worked. It was incredible to me. This was yet another way that an enormous amount of tension went away in my life. So for me in the beginning, I actually, I say that I handed things over. No. I shoved things over. I was like, no, seriously, God, like, seriously, take it. And for a while, I would think, oh, you know, God's not taking it from me. And then I realized, no, no, that's actually me not letting go of it. So when I was able to really turn things over and say, I'm done with this, I'm letting this go. I am not working on the solving of this problem or whatever it is anymore. I mean, it's, it's the core of my life now. So, um, and actually one thing that really helped with that, my first sponsor forced me to memorize the AA third step prayer, which I was not really happy about. I was kind of resentful, to be perfectly honest with you. And now it is my absolute favorite prayer. 
And one of the things that bothered me about it was all the thou, we, blah, blah, blah kind of language. I just was like, what is this? And one of the things she said to me was, you know, it's perfectly fine to have your own prayers, but it's nice to have a recovery prayer. And I just, so I love it for that reason. I love it because of what the prayer says. I love it because of the enormous amount of resistance and resentment I had. And now I love it. Like, it's just, it's beautiful. And so when I wake up in the morning, I have a Buddhist prayer that I say, I say the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer. I do both the on awakening and on retiring routines that are recommended in the, the AA big book. Um, I pray, I eat three meals and two snacks a day. I weigh and measure all of my food except for vegetables. And I pray, pray every time I eat. And then I also um, pray those same prayers in the evening. And then um, I have daily readers, two of which are from recovery that I read. I, I've kept a gratitude journal nightly for 22 years. So when I started doing my nightly inventory, it was quite easy because here I already have a notebook that I'm writing in every single night. And I would say probably 85 to 95% of the time I do a nightly inventory. And the way I think about the nightly inventory is this. When I went through the 12 steps originally, it was like I went down into the deep, dark, dank basement of my life and I cleaned it all out. And then I sandblasted it and then I painted it and I redecorated it and I furnished it. And now every night when I do my nightly inventory, I go down in the basement and I sweep it out. So there's no more buildup. So I'm able to nip things in the bud. And I um, have made up my own inventory statement. I borrow much of what is recommended from the big book. Um, I also take some recommendations from my other recovery program. And then for me, some of my most insidious defects of character, I have them on my inventory. So for me, gossip was a real big problem for me, which I was astonished to find out. And so, for example, I say, you know, did I gossip today? just to keep those things in the forefront of my mind. And then the other thing I do for me, Humility has been so important because though many people in recovery suffer from like super low self-esteem, I don't. I'm sort of the other side of the coin. Like I think I have all the right answers and everybody should listen to me and you should do things my way and the world would be a better place. And I still do think those things sometimes, but I just know they're not true now. I just, I didn't know until recovery that just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. I, that was mind-blowing to me. So for me, the definition of humility that resonates the most with me is I am no better and no worse than anyone else. So I literally write out that sentence every night in my, at the end of my inventory. And then I ask myself, what is something loving that I've done for myself today? It very frequently involves something, some physical care um, I have a little mini yoga routine I do every morning and night. I meditate twice daily. Um, I walk on a regular basis. I have a bunch of other health practices. Like that's another enormous benefit of recovery. I take really good care of myself. 
I think no matter what you're in recovery for, I think all recovery essentially is about learning to love yourself, learning to love yourself as if you are beloved because you are. And so many of us are super loving to all the people around us. And then we treat ourselves horribly. And so the trick is to take that love and point some of it in this direction. And I'll tell you that when I've learned to really take care of myself, I give way more service in my life than I ever did before. I was like a volunteer-aholic before recovery, but I give way more service. And I do it in recovery, as a matter of fact, than I ever did before um, recovery because I do it from a place of abundance. I didn't know until I like did all this inventorying and stuff that, that the reason that I was doing all that volunteering and helping and saving and rescuing and fixing was because I wanted other people's approval. I wanted people to like me. And here's the thing, I like me now. And partly I like me because I tell the truth. I don't lie about food or drugs or alcohol or people pleasing and say yes to things I want to say no to and no. So I'm a woman of integrity now. I always thought I was a woman of principle before. No, I wasn't. So I like me because I practice these principles in all my affairs. I like me because I've gotten to know me. And learning how to set boundaries is a really important part of that because that's an experimental process. I don't know what my boundaries are because I never had them. So I had to practice setting them. And then I started to be like, oh, I actually do like this. And, you know, I really don't like that. And so I've gotten to know myself and I also take really good care of myself. So now Like, I think the thing for me that enabled me the most to go from no boundaries to having really good boundaries is that I've come to care more what I think of me than what other people do. And it doesn't mean I don't care at all what others think of me. Of course I do. It's just that I care more about being an honest woman of integrity than that you will like me. I want you to like me, but I don't need you to like me the way I used to because I like me. And it feels like I'm whole now. I'm not fragmented. I'm whole. And so it used to be like, if something happened to me, I was shattered by it because I was already fragmented and now I'm whole. So I can be rocked by things, but not shattered by them anymore. And that is such a profound gift. So I heard somebody say something the other day. I don't remember how they phrased it. It was very clever. This isn't going to be clever, but it was something like, you know, recovery doesn't prevent the storm from coming, it gives you an umbrella, right? So I don't experience anywhere near as many storms as I used to, because I'm not attracted to chaos the way that I used to. And I'm not lying and doing all kinds of crazy things that I used to do and hiding stuff like food and pretending things. So a lot of the drama of my life has gone away because I'm not doing all the crazy things that I used to do. But you know, the, the ups and downs of life still happen, but now I have tools, you know, I have a higher power. I've learned to pause, which is by far my greatest tool of recovery. The big book says pause when agitated. I didn't, 
I didn't really understand that. I had heard before recovery count to 10 when you're angry, but I was like, that's not for me. That's for angry people, you know? And then when I learned that pausing was a thing, I was like, that's a great idea. I have no idea how to do it. And what happened over time was that I was like, oh, that thing that happened three weeks ago, I could have paused then. And then it was like, oh, that thing that happened a week ago, I could have paused. So I saw the time closing between when I could have paused and when I realized I could have paused. And I got excited, like, oh, is that my five minutes? Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Five minutes. Thanks, Barb. So I got really excited that, oh, maybe pretty soon I'm going to actually realize I could pause right now, like before. And that's really what happened. And for me, that's a good description of the change process. There were so many new behaviors that I've learned how to do in recovery. And in the beginning, I was like, great theory. I have no idea how to do it. And it's just, it just, it takes time. It just, it really takes time. I think So pausing is my number one tool of recovery. My second most important tool of recovery is reaching out to other people. So I never did that. Like I was the person people, I was the fixer, the rescuer, the saver. And so I not only reach out to my higher power, as I described earlier, but I also have learned to reach out to other human beings because we're protected when we're connected. We are not meant to live in isolation. Humans are wired for connection. We are pack animals. And isolation is, it, it's killing, it kills you, it kills me. And so learning to reach out was just really, really difficult for me and, and very humbling also because I came to realize that at least on an emotional level that I somehow thought it was better than all those other people that I was rescuing before. On an intellectual level, I didn't believe that, but emotionally, and so to understand Like it's not weak and it's not bad to reach out for help. It's actually good and strong. And then I think keeping the focus on myself is another really important way. And I've already talked about, excuse me, another important tool. And I've already talked about some of those ways. So keeping the focus on me means asking myself, what do I want in this situation? I never did that before. It means minding my own business. I gave so much unsolicited advice before recovery even though I couldn't run my own life. Actually, I remember when I did step one with my sponsor in this program and I listed out all the ways my life is unmanageable. I remember writing like how I literally could not manage one area of my life well. And I started laughing and I was laughing to the point where I was holding my ribs and rolling back and forth in my bed because that's where I do my step work because it was so absurd that I'm giving advice to other people and I don't even know how to manage my life. So I, st- I keep the focus on myself by you know, minding my own business. I keep the focus on myself by looking for my part in things. And I keep the focus on myself by taking good care of myself. I just want to look at my list and see if there was anything on here that I wrote that I didn't touch on. That is it. Um, I will say that recovery is the foundation of my life. Um, I go to um, meetings every single week in both of my fellowships. I sponsor for me personally, besides doing the actual 12 steps, the thing that is by far strengthened my recovery the most is being a sponsor. If you want to strengthen your recovery, 
become a sponsor and give service, especially service above the group level, because that is really going to strengthen your recovery because you're going to be with people who are giving service. And you're also going to have opportunities to use those tools of recovery. So with that, I will end. Thank you all for your service. And just being here is service. Just by being at this meeting, you are giving service. You're making it possible for this program fellowship to go on. And um, thank you so much. I'm going to keep coming. Thank you, Barb. Let's have a round of silent muted applause. <laughs> oh, I see somebody doing that. So thank you very much, Barb. Uh, really appreciate your opening your your heart and sharing uh, your recovery with us tonight. So now folks, we have time for questions and answers. Ooh, there I am again. And uh, how this works is you're gonna use the Q&A function. So if you look at the bottom of the screen under where uh, Barb and my pictures are, right about in the middle, there's a little button that says Q&A and you push on that and you can send me questions and I will ask them. So we have a question already. Kimberly, for one second. You if may. I can't see the QA button because they're on a different size screen. Hit the more button or the three dots and you'll find QA up in that little secret list. Thank you. You're welcome. I wouldn't have known that. So, uh, excuse me, Kimberly, I did give my email address to. Sandy, I think. So she can put that in the chat if people want to reach out to me. I will do that. That's great. And I really want to ask you if you have questions, please put them in the Q&A function rather than the chat. And we'll give a big shout out to Jean who got the first question in the uh, chat. And that is, do you ever self-sabotage a sort of a fear of success? Mm -hmm. So um, I would call that self-abandonment that has been the history of my life. Um, I would say, so I've been in recovery for seven and a half years and I can't say I never do it, but it's extremely rare. I would, I think another, like, I keep saying, this is the greatest gift. This is the greatest gift. This is the greatest gift. But one of the most incredible gifts of recovery is I show up for myself. So I think just keep coming, Jean, just keep coming and keep doing the work. You know, I just, it doesn't serve me or God or my sponsees or my fellows in recovery for me to self-sabotage. Thank you. Next question is, uh, did your experience with codependency help your OA program? Yes, I think it's hard for me to, to take apart all my recovery, but I will say that what I moved to share in answer to that question is that boundaries are the key to, to the antidote to codependence. I learned a lot of boundaries in OA, especially around my food. When you have a food plan, those are called boundaries. These things are in, these things are out. I also had to learn to say no to people. I've learned things like in the beginning, when I would say to people, I don't eat sugar, they would, I was a research project for them. Well, do you eat fruit? And what about this? And what about that? And I finally learned like, I don't really want to get into that. So then I started saying, I don't eat sweets. 
or now what I really mostly say to people is I have food issues and so many people have food issues. They don't usually go into like, what is that? But I had to learn that those are boundaries, you know? So I, I, I hope that answers the question. Thank you. Uh, next question is how did you overcome your reluctance to reach out via the telephone? Okay, good. I'm so glad you asked that because this is such an important part of my recovery. So I mentioned I was doing the steps in another program and it was with a small group of women. And one day during our meeting, one of the women said, you know, I was really upset the other day and I wanted to reach out to one of you, but I talked myself out of it. And we all said, oh my God, I do the same thing. I talk myself out of asking for help. So we said, okay, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to make a pack. We are reaching out for help. And then none of us did it. That is how hard reaching out for help can be. Eventually, we started reaching out for help. And I mentioned earlier, it was very humbling for me to learn that I had this belief, at least emotionally, that I was somehow better than other people because I was helping them because I felt like it was a problem for me to reach out because I thought it was weak. First of all, there was an embedded assumption in there that weakness is bad. It's not bad. It's just weak. Weakness is weak. So it's not good, bad. It's weak. Secondly, if you, I like to think of it this picture one person walking down the road alone, then picture 10 people walking down the road, holding hands which is stronger. So it is not weak to reach out for other people, for help with other people. And, you know, we have this saying, we're protected when we're connected for a reason in recovery. We're meant to be connected to other people. And I remember one of the things when I would talk myself out of reaching out for help, let's say I was crying. I would think to myself, what are they going to do for me anyway? Well, you know what they're going to do for you? They're going to witness you. And having someone witness your pain and stay there with you is one of the most incredibly healing gifts you can receive. And it is one of the most, I'm getting chills, one of the most incredibly healing gifts you can give to another person. I don't know about you, all of you, but I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Crying wasn't really allowed. And so I had all this, like, I shouldn't be crying. And I did a lot of crying, but I did it all alone at home. And when I, I can now literally cry on someone's shoulder. So, um, that reaching out for help has just been so, so, so difficult. And I think you know, I was told when I got into recovery, three calls a day, I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. But I did like texting. I did some little just, and if, even if you call someone and say, my sponsor told me I had to call people, like, that's all you have to say. And then something's going to happen. You know, there's going to be a conversation. They might say, Hey, you know, my sponsor made me do the same thing. And just, just connecting on just the most basic level. Like I'm in the same program as you. I'm a compulsive reader. Got to go. Bye. Like just start with whatever you can do. I think that's, you know, changing your behavior starts with teeny tiny things and then you do a little more and a little more, you know, I, I hope that's, that's helpful. That's great. Thank you. So 
We have a question that uh, would you please repeat the various things that you do every day, including your prayers and your daily routine? <laughs> okay, I will, but I also didn't even list all of them. So I wake up praying with my several prayers. I do mindset journaling. I meditate. I meditate twice. So I meditate for 15 minutes in the morning and then I meditate before dinner in the evening for 15 minutes. I have three or four daily readers. Um, I have a whole slew of like um, affirmations and visioning things that I do because I had a lot of garbage in here and I need to keep that clean. I need to clean that out. So I do a lot of work on that. Um, I have an, a, a time, not, it's not a timer. I have a reminder that goes off on my phone in the middle of the day to remind me to pray. And I have some... Um, I will call them celestial uh, images on my phone that I also look at every morning and every night. And I look at them when I say my prayers in the middle of the day. I pray all my five times that I eat. I also, of course, pray all the time during the day. I say, God, please show me your will for me. Give me the power to carry it out. What can I do for those who are still sick? Um, and then in the evening, I do my gratitude journal. I do my nightly inventory. Um, I do more mindset journaling. I also um, have, you know, prayers that I say, and I do my yoga routine, which I do in the morning as well. Um, and here's the thing. I have like a 90 minute runway in my day in the morning. It does not work for me to just hop out of bed and then run to work. It just doesn't work. I need a long runway into my day and I need a long runway out of my day. That's just what I need. I never knew that. I lived with a sense of urgency at all times before I got into recovery. I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. And I, so I am an entrepreneur and I do a lot of networking and somebody wanted me to join a networking group at seven o'clock on Tuesday morning. But I was like, no, I am never going to take a meeting before 9am. I might take a meeting once in a while before 9am. I'm never going to take a weekly meeting before 9am because I need my time. That's a boundary for me. I know I don't do well. Listen, I'm a jerk when I don't do all those things, you want me praying and meditating and journaling. Believe me, you want me doing those things. Thank you. So we got another question uh, about uh, getting Barb's email. We're putting it in the chat. So uh, we were, it was in just a couple of minutes ago. If you scroll back up, you can find it. We're purposely not saying it in the recorded audio. So please look for it in the chat. Uh, so, geez, so many good questions. Uh, how do you handle boredom? I, I don't even have that. I don't know what that means. There's the universe of stuff out there. Like, I can't wait to live life. I don't, I don't have boredom. <laughs> I don't I've always been a very curious person. Um, there's way too much stuff that I want to do. So I'm sorry. I can't help you. <laughs> I don't handle boredom. All right. The next question then uh, is around selfishness. And uh, this uh, member writes, selfishness is wanting what I want. Mm -hmm. I get it confused with self-care. Mm. Actually, 
didn't put a question. Yeah. I think it's, can you help me with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think um, there, there's somehow this cultural notion that, that self-care is selfish and it's actually selfless. So I've heard this speaker say, don't pour from your cup, pour from the overflow. You know how you get an overflow? By filling your cup first, right? Because if you're always pouring from the overflow, then you're never having an empty cup. So I take super good care of myself. And that means I have so much more to give. So when I used to go to the world to give, I did it from a place of lack. Partly it was a place of lack because I was like, like me, like me, like me. And partly it was from a place of lack because I never took care of myself and I was running on empty all the time. And now it's from a place of abundance because I like me because of all the work that I've done to get to know myself and I take good care of myself. And it's also from a place of abundance because I fill my cup. You know, it is not self-indulgent to take care of yourself. It is self-preservation. So. Hope that helps. Thank you. I got to write that down. Uh, So how do you gauge when to become a sponsor? For example, the person who wrote the question says she has 10 months abstinence, but she's still on step four. Okay. So I was on step three and somebody said, will you sponsor me? And I was like, "Uh, I got to ask my sponsor. So I think that's the question to ask, talk to your sponsor. Um, I was also taught that you need at least 30 days of abstinence and you need to be at least a step ahead of the other person. I personally think you probably a little bit more than that. I would say, you know, if you feel solid in your, and I was abstinent, let's see, how long was I abstinent? I was probably abstinent nine or 10 months, you know, something like that. When that happened, I also had recovery in another program. So I was kind of familiar with the steps. So that might've been part of it, but you know, my sponsor helped me decide. And then my sponsor actually got me to sponsorship training. So that was super helpful. Um, yeah. So that, that's my, those are my thoughts. Um, next question is about procrastination. Is that an issue for you? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, it used to be that to me is the self-abandonment thing, the self-procrastination is a way of self-sabotaging. Um, I, I just, it's just, I've changed, you know, I just, recovery is a program of change and, um, I have so much I want to do. I don't have time to procrastinate. I mean, I might procrastinate about the dishes from time to time, but not about anything that I really want to do. Um, And I just think it comes from just having this, I'll, I'll call it a zest for life. I've always been like a pretty, like relatively happy person and alive person, but I have this zest for life now that, you know, like I'm 59. I'm like, I don't have time to procrastinate because like, I want to do so many things and I've wasted a lot of time drinking and drugging and eating and being codependent and chaos. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And, and I don't have time. 
So I just want to, I want to live, you know. Next question. I feel like I want to say something after every question, and I think that's <laughs> very inappropriate. I'm, I'm. It's my time, questions. Kimberly. <laughs> it's your time. Um, but I would tell them how wonderful you are. But okay, okay. Back to you. So, um, next question is: Can you give an example of how you practice humility? Um, when I think, well. <sighs> If people will only do things my way, I don't voice that. Um, and I also know by looking at facts that it's not true. Um, I'm not sure how else. I hope that answers. I'm not sure how else to, to answer that. But that that writing out that sentence, I am no better and no worse than anyone really helps me. And you know what, while I'm saying this, I do want to say, because so many people in recovery suffer from, from low self-esteem that somehow people think humility is only when you need to like make your head smaller. If you think you were the worst piece of crap on the earth, that's not humble. It's I'm no better and no worse than anyone else. So maybe you need to be brought up, but being right size is what humility is about. Thank you. Next question uh, is about how you handle being around people, particularly family members who don't value your emotions, or how do you handle family members that you believe talk about you negatively to others? So I actually don't spend time with my family of origin. I went through a whole process where when I started learning boundaries, what I thought was that they were about controlling other people. And I called it a boundary. So I'll give my brother as an example. So he is a dry drunk. He's an untreated adult child. Um, he suffers from um, depression. And he's just a mess, okay? And he talks super loud and he talks about politics all the time. And I have, I've, part of my recovery is I don't pay attention to news. I don't, get involved in stuff and so in the beginning i would be like listen you know my ears hurt you're talking so loud and i don't really want to talk about politics and he wouldn't listen to me and so i was like oh he's not respecting my boundary when i realized like okay so i can't turn him into someone who doesn't talk politics i can't turn him into someone who talks quietly what can i do so this is where i get the wisdom to know the difference between what i can and cannot change so what I can do is limit the amount of time that I'm around him. So I started with 90 minutes and then I realized, you know, my limit is really 60. And also I stopped going, he lives like an hour-ish away from me. So it's not like I live next door to him or anything. And then I stopped going as frequently. So I would see him like two or three times a year rather than like six, eight times a year. And it's just gotten fewer and farther between. And I haven't seen him since the pandemic. I have reached out a couple times, haven't heard back. I don't chase people anymore. Um, and the, the reality is, if you want to have, if you want to be happy, joyous, and free, there are some people that you might lose. Um, and you just have to decide what's more important to me, my peace and serenity 
or having them in my life. And if your peace and serenity is more then what can you do, but you still want to have them in your life, what can you do to minimize? Because you can't, you cannot go the rest of your life without being triggered by people, places, and things. You can't, it's just, you can minimize the opportunities for being triggered by people, places, and things by the way that you live your life, by the boundaries you put in your life. But um, I've had to teach people new ways to treat me. And what I've learned about boundaries is, of course, it's harder with people you've always known to set, you're teaching them new ways to treat you. I mean, we're always teaching people how to treat us. But when we learn to set boundaries and when we get into recovery, we, we start to be very purposeful about how we treat people. But here's the thing, when you start using those boundaries in your new relationships and you see the amazing opportunities you have for like authenticity and vulnerability with people who respect your boundaries, it reinforces the desire to be either more firm with your boundaries over here or to let those people go. That's two minutes on that question. Okay. Um, check in with Louise and Elizabeth. I think we have made Louise work so hard tonight. Do right, hard do. I don't know. Let's not even try it. I do. Elizabeth, can you take over? All right. Let's let's give Louise a break. God bless you, Louise. Louise. Go ahead, my dears. All right. Are you good to go? I'm good to go. Okay. So uh, would you please tell us what a day, a typical day in the life of Barb looks like as far as your program and your exercise and your spiritual practices? Okay. I'm pretty sure I answered that. I didn't really talk about food. So I will say um, I plan my meals and snacks the day before. I did have a big chunk of my recovery time where I planned my food for a week. When I was working full time, I planned all my meals and snacks for an entire week did all my cooking on Sunday, portioned my food somewhat in the freezer, something in the refrigerator. And then once the pandemic hit and I was home all the time, I was like, I'm not doing that. And I really enjoyed doing it when I, it was just made my life a lot easier, but I do plan ahead of time. And I, I created my own kind of tracker thing that I just worked on over time. So I also, it's not just my food plan, but it's also like my daily plan. Um, but I think all the rest of it I've answered in terms of my spiritual practice and exercise. And I, so I, I did say I do yoga. I walk. Um, so I usually I take yoga classes two times a week. I walk five, six, seven days a week. And then I do my little mini yoga routine every morning and night. So that flows right into the next question, which is with all this program and good stuff you do every day, when do you find time to work? or whatever else you need to get done and still have time just to have fun? So I get a lot done. So I have my own business. I have two part-time jobs. And then of course, the best paying part-time job I have ever had, which is my recovery. And I get a ton done. I also, one thing I have not mentioned, I am in a super healthy romantic relationship with my sweetheart. For the first time in my life. And a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated four years, which would not be possible without recovery. And we sort of fell into a schedule at the beginning of our relationship 
And so I see him Tuesday night, Thursday night, and Saturday night, and we switch off who sleeps over whose house, which means I see him um, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, and Sunday morning. And then he comes over here for yoga on Monday afternoon and Thursday afternoon. So I see him some portion of every day. And that's my main leisure time. And when I'm with him, I am with him. I'm not doing stuff. I'm not on my phone. I'm not on my computer. I'm not doing stuff. Um, I'm super organized. Um, one of my most important boundaries that I've learned is around my time because I gave away my time all the time before recovery and I just don't anymore. So, um, I block my time. My calendar is one of my best friends. Um, I leave the ringer off on my phone. People just don't call me, just text me. And, um, I set up calls with people. I don't take X, you know, just calls very rarely. My sponsees, if they will, they know to text me, can you talk? And I will call them as soon as I possibly can. All of my sponsees have my, like my, my shortest time with a sponsee, I think is three years. All the rest of them have been with me longer than that. So they're not in a point where they like need me immediately. So if they do text me and say, Hey, can you talk? I know that it's serious. And so I make every effort to get in contact with them, but, um, it's just, I'm very boundary around my time because I have so many things I want to do. And I do a lot. Um, and then when I work, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the Pomodoro technique, but it's where you work in a 25 minute chunk of time. And then you take a break for five minutes and back and forth. And what that does for me is allows me to like super focus in that 25 minutes. I'm able to get into flow. That's another thing. Like I was a multitasker before and I just like, that's chaos to me. I can't, I don't like, okay. Like I make my bed every day and I just thought of it the other day. Like, Oh, this is because I don't like chaos anymore. I lived, I thrived in chaos. Well, I thought I thrived. I didn't thrive, but yeah, I need, I need peace and serenity. Can you talk to us for a, a minute or two on how you handle decision-making and the should-ofs, could-ofs kind of things? Yeah, I don't could have, should have, would have. So I've actually learned a lot about decision-making. So um, I asked myself, does this serve me? And when I say, does this serve me? I mean, does it serve my highest good? Um, and what are my motives? Like, why am I trying, what is this decision about? Like, what am I trying to do? I think that idea of practicing these principles in all our affairs is super important. Um, because we're trying to live in right alignment with our higher power. And, you know, technically practice these principles in all affairs really means the principles of 12 steps and 12 traditions. But for my personal life, it means my personal values. Like what are my principles in my life. And then um, I've also learned um, a couple of techniques that I've pulled from various different places. One is if I have to decide between two different things, I think, well, if what if both outcomes were awesome, which one would I pick? Because usually when we don't want to make a decision, we're afraid to make a bad decision. Well, what if they were both awesome? Your gut will probably tell you which one you want. So just do that. Another one is flip a coin. You don't use the coin toss to decide. What you do is before you look at the coin, which one do you hope it was? 
that's the one that you pick. And if you don't care, then you pick the one that the coin toss was. And another one is, I love thinking about my future self. One of my favorite sayings, which is at the signature of my email, is um, keep going. Your future self is begging you. So I love thinking about my future self. So I try to think, okay, 10 years from now, what would 10 year future Barb tell me to do? And usually I know immediately. And what I think these techniques do have taught me to rely on my intuition because my intuition was covered up with like food. You know, I remember one of my sponsors said to me, your pipeline is no longer filled with cupcakes. He was using that as a metaphor. You know, like my pipeline to God isn't clogged with cupcakes anymore. Well, my pipeline to my intuition isn't clogged with cupcakes anymore. That's too many. Thank thank you. Uh, So we're going to run out of time. I want to see here. What are some of the affirmations you use in your day? Oh, how much time do you have? I have so many. So... Um, I think the most important one that I came up for with myself is I'm just the right amount of everything. And that is because I had this notion that I was too much and I'm just the right amount of everything. And I think that works for anybody. Um, I am a clear communicator understood by everyone. Connecting with people is really important to me. And the way you connect with people is communicating. Um, I am part of the rhythm and flow of the universe, everything. Um, oh, I'm, I'm messing it up. I say these affirmations every day and I can't come up with them when I'm asked to. Let's see. I am part of the perfect rhythm and flow of life. All is in divine right order. Like, I'm just like, okay, I don't, I was trying to run my life before. Clearly it didn't work. Now that I'm allowing my higher power to run my life, it's working. So if something doesn't quote work out for me, I assume there's something better around the corner. One of my friends from recovery in the beginning used to say, God can see around corners. I love that. Hope that works. works. I think that uh, that sounds like a really good place to end. This has been a marathon uh, Q&A session I'm so glad we're doing this because you got to share so much more with us. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. I've got one, two, three, four, a few questions uh, out there that we didn't get to. So my apologies about that, but you've got, let's put Barb's email back in the chat. If you don't mind Sandy one more time. So people don't have to search for it. Yeah. yeah they can email me. And also I just, I just happened to notice somebody said, what was the technique? It's called the Pomodoro technique. Okay. Thank you. And you can look that up and Google yes, it. You, or can. Read, you can Google it. That's and, or read the explanation in French in the chat. But um, so thank you very much for everybody who submitted questions tonight. Uh, thank you to our two interpreters who have yes. worked so hard and fast. And uh, it, it always uh, fills my heart to have the interpretation. Mm. And um, it's, fills my heart to have you here tonight too. Yes. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. So very glad. Uh, So thank you, everybody. Um, I, am I going to turn this back over to Chuck and Debbie or do I close it out? Very briefly. 
Um, All right, I'm turning it back over to Chuck and Debbie very briefly. Very briefly, very briefly. briefly. So, um, so Kimberly had no script. (laughs) Uh, We are we are not organized or planned. I appreciate her stepping up and doing this, Uh, and thank you. here as well to our speaker. Um, amazing, Barb. Thank you. Um, going off script again. Um, so uh, a couple of comments. Um, if you happen to come in a little bit late during this talk, all talks are being recorded on audio. Um, we'll send an email out to everybody when that's all organized and up on the website. And then you can share the audio with your friends and, and listen to the entire thing uh, over and over again. Um so tomorrow we have a full day of recovery and fun, uh, as well as tonight. Uh, you can stay a bit and uh, and join us, uh, but you can join us starting at 8 a.m. Um, go to the program, program and attend your uh, choice of speakers, panels, and workshops. And I'm going to ask Debbie to close us off with this friendly prayer. Thank you so very much. My book was going. I was writing a lot. I learn everything every time I go to someplace new. Deep breath in, let it out. If nobody told you today they love you, God truly loves you, and so do I. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not might be done. Thank you very much. And if you had a good time tonight, come on back tomorrow.